You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate you making time for our program here on your operations. You keep yourself busy, and my goodness, is there a lot to keep busy with in the industry of agriculture. We're going to talk markets with our friend Darren Newsom here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather, get a look at what might be coming in the forecast ahead. In segment three, we're going to turn our focus to a new lawsuit filed against the Biden administration. 17 different groups have come together to protest this new Waters of the U.S. rule. Mary Thomas Hart of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will join us in segment three to break down their objections to this new piece of regulatory authority from Uncle Sam. Folks, so stay with us. But before we get into all of that, however, it is wintertime, which in the grain world means it's education season. Meetings are popping up across the country. Farmers are getting together. And this past weekend, South Dakota corn growers held their annual meeting up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Darren Newsom was one of the presenters. I had the chance to listen to his presentation, and it was titled, Could Corn Hit $7? And Darren, it seems like we're getting a little farther away from that today. <laughs> well, we certainly are, Mike. And, and that, was, that was a fun meeting. It was a good meeting. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're kind of starting the week under pressure a little bit, uh, given what we heard uh, from uh, you know the incredible uh, Eric Snodgrass with the with the weather presentation. Not a huge surprise because uh, you know it seems like you know it, it may be winter time here, uh, but it's uh, you know the equivalent of late July in uh, in South America, and so you know it certainly looks like weather has is almost ideal for parts of the growing areas of, of Brazil. Uh, for their so, for their soybeans and for their getting their uh, second crop of corn, their safrina crop planted. So, you know, not a huge surprise coming out of a of, of a summer weather uh, weekend that we've got we've got markets under pressure. We do, Darren. And you made a comment up in Sioux Falls that has struck with me. And I'd like your take on today's market action. You said when we were looking at the markets, the commodity markets, it's more important to talk about the what than the why. And this morning or in the overnight, we saw beans gap lower six cents. So that would be the what. Now the trade is trying to explain the why looking at weather. But what does that what that six cents gap lower tell you from a technical perspective in the soybean market? From a technical perspective, you know, you know, you if you're just leaving gaps on daily charts, that's not a huge deal. It, they happen a lot, particularly when, when things get volatile. What I was interested in is, you know, if we look over at the uh, if we look at the soybean meal, the March soybean meal, it initially left a gap on its weekly chart. And I need to check real quick to make sure that March uh, beans didn't do the same. Uh, but that to me is more of a concern. Now, it did go back and fill. Uh, and let's see on the weekly chart for soybeans, we did not. And so that is an important topping formation, uh, indicating that we could have a secondary top getting in place here. And, and when I talk about the what, now let's look at, now let's kind of look at the structure of, of this trade here this morning. You know, as of what I'm seeing on the, on the quote screen, 
We've got March down about 23. We've got May down about 22. And we've got July down 20. So this tells us not only do we have non-commercial selling, uh, and this group built up their net long futures position through last Tuesday, and they've been selling it since, and now they're selling it a little bit more. But we also have some commercial selling in here. We've got the nearby contracts losing ground to the deferreds. And this is the what. So we've got selling from both sides. We'll find out the why later. This time of year, it's most likely tied to uh, uh, most likely tied to Brazil and South America. Plus, you've got China on a week-long vacation, so there's not a lot of, of uh, commercial activity in the market. So you've kind of got all these things coming together, leading to the sell-off that we've got in the oil seeds. Darren, you mentioned the Chinese Lunar New Year, the holiday they're celebrating in China. Do we see a drop in open interest as the Chinese celebrate this holiday? Maybe not so much open interest, but we certainly see trade volume tend to slack off. Now, I say that, and here within the first half hour, we've got almost 60,000 contracts of the March corn contract traded, excuse me, March soybean contract traded. So, you know, again, this tells me that there is some pressure coming in. Uh, most likely the bulk of that is non-commercial trade. They looked at the weather maps over the weekend. Uh, they say, okay, we have been buying time to sell again. Uh, so we've got that activity going on. Uh, and so by the time we get through Monday and then, you know, we, we face Tuesday uh, with the data pulled for the next round of CFTC reports after the close Tuesday, right now it looks like some of those positions that were added the previous week are being taken off now this week. All right, Darren. So we've got the bean market down 15 to 20 cents, corn off 10, 11, the wheat market really struggling off 19 to 29 cents across the different classes. What's going on here in the wheat trade? Yeah, it, it, wheat is really interesting because it just absolutely has no friends. I mean, there's there's nobody who wants to own it. Nobody was interested in buying U.S. wheat at this time, despite what all is going on in the world. Uh, so, you know, here we're, here we're looking at, you know, if, if it has no buyers and all you've got is sellers and it's still at a pretty high price, it doesn't really matter. And, and I know, you know, I, I talked about, you know, my, my market rules being number six, uh, you know, fundamentals win in the end. But even with uh, both Kansas City and Minneapolis fundamentals st uh, still being bullish, we cannot find any buyers in this market. So that opens the door for them to move lower. They've taken out their previous, I think they've taken out their previous four-week lows. And, and really, that just generates more algorithm selling. Uh, and what's really interesting here is Chicago, the, the non-commercial traders in Chicago already hold a large net short futures position of 40-some-odd thousand contracts. And they're getting ready to push it beyond their previous low mark of, you know, like 44, 45,000 contracts. So this is getting to be a very significant sell-off in the Chicago market. And, you know, that usually opens the door to some short covering, but we're just not seeing that interest out there right now. Well, Darren, looking over at the protein market, it seems like we've got some interest developing there. Cattle were up big to end the week last week, had the cattle on feed report. Uh, where do you see this market going from here? Yeah, the cattle on feed showed us nothing that we hadn't already seen in the spreads. You know, placements a little, you know, from from on feed was a little bit larger. Marketings were a little bit smaller. Pl uh, placements were a bit larger than uh, than last month. You know, it, it just goes back to the fact I, I don't see the fundamentals that continue to support this market. Boxed beef has been getting punched around a bit here in January. Cash markets holding steady. It just, it's just very hard to break the cattle market at this point. Now, we have seen it under pressure. It seems to be coming back uh, kind of with a vengeance here early Monday morning. We'll see what type of vo uh, volume develops. But right now, it's just a market that it, it doesn't want to go down. So, it, you know, it can't go down and therefore it won't go down regardless of what the fundamentals are at this point.
Well, looking over at the feeder cattle side of the market, Darren, we do have some fundamentals working in favor of higher feeder prices today, obviously corn off a little bit. Are there any technical levels of resistance you're watching in the feeder market that should make folks take a breath? Yeah, you know, if I pull up the March contract, let me just make sure I've got that one. Uh, yeah, the March, we, you know, we started this move uh, up around 188.75 from oh, a couple weeks ago, and then we dropped down to last week's low of uh, 179.17. So, you know, we've got a 50% retracement up there, just short of 184, and beyond that's 185. So, you know, this is this is possibly a second day higher. Uh, we'll see if we close higher today and tomorrow, then it will start bouncing around a little bit. Certainly looks like the short-term trend has turned up on the daily chart. So for no other reason but technical, uh, a short-term rally could, you know, could continue to push this market higher. All right, folks, keep an eye on those protein markets. We've been speaking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. And Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on again, Mike. Folks, stick around. We'll dig into the weather topics with John Baranek of DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and medical expenses are covered. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over 60, call 24-7. 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stepacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I 
first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Over the past month and a half, farmers across the Northern Plains and other parts of this great country have been battling horrendous winter storm events. And, well, let's just see, are they going to continue on into the future? Well, joining us now for an update on the forecast is meteorologist John Baranek of DTN. Keeps track of these things over there for DTN. And John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Great having having uh, being on the show with you here, Mike. It's always good to talk with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about what to expect in this week ahead. John, we have had a couple weeks of milder weather. It's been rather pleasant to get outside in the northern climes of this country. It sounds as though that's starting to change. Yeah, um, we've had actually a really active pattern, although it hasn't come with any cold air, which is very unusual. Uh, usually what really sets up a, uh, an active pattern is a, is a difference between cold and warm air, but it's just been all warm all the time for most of the country. Um, but yeah, we've had quite a few storm systems moving through, that's for sure. A lot of areas have uh, had either their seasonal average or above average snowfall. Um, and uh, it looks like we got another storm system here to add to that here this week. So it's right now it's in the Four Corners area. It'll be moving off into Texas here tonight and into tomorrow. And then it'll be headed off to the northeast. So we'll have um, that's a kind of a classic storm uh, track and uh, usually brings a, a good bit of snow for northern Texas and Oklahoma, and then up along and north of the Ohio River up into the northeast. So we're going to see that. Um, it looks like we've got several areas here that could see kind of six to 12 inches of snow um, as that moves through. So another good band of snow to the south of that. Uh, it's warm enough for thunderstorms. And uh, especially around the Gulf Coast, looks like we'll see that. We could see some severe weather here tomorrow um, right there along the Gulf. Um, and then that storm system pushes off early Thursday or so. And like I said, usually they're followed by some cold air, but it's not going to be cold behind that system unless you're in that snowpack. So um, we, we, last week we saw one system move through kind of Nebraska and Iowa with some heavy snow. Um, Late last week, it was through Colorado and Kansas. This one's going to be through Oklahoma and Texas. So basically everybody up and down the plains here has gotten a pretty good chance of a pretty good uh, batch of snow. And that'll keep temperatures down a bit. But, you know, for most of the country here, um, it's, it's pretty warm. It is. And that snow is much needed, especially across that geography there in the Texas Panhandle. Six to 12 inches, John, coming there across the southern tier of the plains. How far north and east does that snow band stretch? Does that run all the way up the Ohio Valley later in the week? It does. So, yeah, so uh, like really the, the the Texas panhandle through most of Oklahoma, uh, southeast Kansas, uh, most of Arkansas and Missouri, and then they're right along the Ohio River and uh, just north of it, a good, you know, 100, 150 miles 
uh, could could see that, uh, that that good heavy snow. Now, when you melt it all down, especially when you're talking about it there in the southwestern plains, it's you know six tenths of an inch to an inch, inch and a quarter. So um, it's 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 a good uh, burst of precipitation down there, but you know it's nothing drought busting by any means. It's not would provide a little bit of insulation for that winter wheat that's uh, that's struggling down there as these cold temps have moved across. John, is there a risk that this Arctic air is going to push itself further into the continental U.S. in weeks ahead or are we kind of safe for a while? Oh, no, it's unfortunately it's on our doorstep. So most of uh, January here, actually all of January, we've been rather warm across the entire country. Uh, we finally started to get some cooler temperatures building across the southwest um, this weekend, but um uh, still holding off through most of the country, but we've got a, a big clipper system that's going to move through here late this week. Uh, it's going to start off in the Canadian prairies here on Thursday and then kind of move across the international border for Friday. Um, uh, immediately doesn't have a whole lot of snow with it. Uh, we might see some bursts here across the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, the Southern Canadian prairies with a little bit of snow, but really that Arctic front really comes in behind it. So Friday and Saturday um, really kind of, drapes itself west to east across the middle of the country here for the weekend. And north of that front, uh, we're talking about temperatures getting back well below zero again. Um, North Dakota and the Canadian prairies are going to see the worst of it, where temperatures uh, in the morning are probably 20 degrees below zero um, and will may not even uh, reach above zero for high temperatures there. Um, a lot of the upper Midwest and um, even down to Nebraska will see temperatures kind of more in the single digits. But that front is going to be kind of slow to move next week. Um, a couple of systems are probably going to develop along it and help to push it farther south next week. Um, so we'll, we'll get some more precipitation out of this. And um, uh, we'll, we'll see how, how far south that front actually goes because um, there's going to be something opposing it here in the upper levels in the southeast. We'll see a ridge of high pressure kind of developing there. And... Um, We'll try to oppose that. So I don't think the southeast really gets into that Arctic cold air. Um, really much of the, the, the east coast doesn't see it either. But the middle of the country, uh, especially the northern plains and upper Midwest, are definitely going to be in that Arctic cold here next week. Well, John, I've got another question about the northern plains for you. I've been up in the Dakotas recently. I've been talking to a lot of growers, and they've commented on the prevalence this winter, really over the past four to five weeks, of hoarfrost. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that phrase, that is spelled H-O-A-R. It's Old English. It means hair. But it's the frost that comes after a fog in the early morning that builds up on trees. And there's a lot of old wives' tales about if you have a hoarfrost, rain is coming X number of days into the future. John, can a hoarfrost teach us anything about meteorology you know farmers are a lot more in tune to the weather than even i am and you know i haven't I, I didn't grow up on a farm i haven't heard that one but when i was up in fargo last weekend um i heard that as well they were all asking me you know okay so we've had a lot of hoarfrost here are we expected to have kind of you know 90 days after are we expected to see some uh some wet conditions and you know that would be kind of uh most of april and um you know, as we look at kind of our models and some of the uh, previous years, our analog years that we look at for forecasting, um, April doesn't really tend to be a, a wet month by any means. I mean, there, there is precipitation in there, and, and we're talking about kind of the Dakota specifically, because that's where we've seen it the most here over the last few weeks. Um, but, um, you know, it I, I, I assume it will precipitate in uh, in April, so that might uh, um, 
you know, April showers. Yeah, it might cause a few folks to think, oh, this is because we had hoar frost uh, back in January. But, um, you know, it rains, well, it precipitates every April anyway. So That's true. It sounds like we need to do some more research here on hoar frost and what they portend there, Mr. Baranek. But I know we have been doing lots of research on La Nina. Can you bring us up to speed? Last we talked, it was moving into the neutral category. Is that still the trend you're noticing in the Southern Pacific? Still the trend. It's very slow, though. What we have noticed over the last week or so um, is some warmer waters uh, developing off the coast of South America. So uh, we're continuing to see that uh, La Nina condition really ease here, and uh, we're headed into that neutral category, if not um, within the next couple of weeks here, by the end of February at least, I think. All right, John. And so that's going to impact weather here. Also down in South America, that soybean crop is coming out there in Brazil. What do you expect weather-wise for those growers? Yeah, so Brazil specifically, I mean, it's going to stay rainy. I mean, But that's not atypical for this time of year. I mean, we're in the heart of the wet season. So uh, producers there are used to dealing with showers. Um, but they are coming at a pretty frequent pace. So uh, we've already heard of some delays in some of the uh, soybean harvest already. Um, that looks like it'll probably continue. But, you know, like I said, farmers there are used to it. So any chance of dry weather, they're out there working. So um, they'll be they'll be definitely working here over the next couple of weeks to get those soybeans out and their safrina corn in. Um, once they do that, uh, the soil moisture there is real good. So it's off. It'll be off to a really good start here um, as you know, records are are forecast here for soybeans in Brazil, uh, also in terms of corn. So everything's at least on track at this point. Everything is on track at this point. The market will be watching closely. I know when you forecasters pull some rain out of the forecast, we see it almost instantaneously there in the trade. John, thinking about Argentina, has that forecast changed much at all? More chance of rain ahead for those growers? Yes, and um, actually over the weekend, they had a front come through and they got three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half of rain there over Argentina. So things kind of looked good, but we have to remember that the crop conditions and were so bad, um, you know, the equivalent of single digit good to excellent ratings down there. Um, so for both corn and soybeans, and that's so that's it's really bad. Uh, soil moisture basically non existent. So the rains are decent, but they're going to need more. Um, they're going to luck out with a couple of fronts moving through here this week, and it looks like a good one to two inches is possible there. Um, so things are looking better for them. We'll have to see whether or not we can get any turnaround in those crops because they are just so badly damaged from the heat and drought that uh, I, I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to turn around uh, that poor, that crop that's in such poor shape. But uh, at least they're getting into some better conditions there for them. Um, we'll see what that happens with the trade going forward. We certainly will, folks. We've been talking with John Baranek, Chief Meteorologist at DTN Weather. And John, thanks so much for joining us today. Again, always good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to dig into the new lawsuit filed against the Biden administration's Waters of the U.S. Act with Mary Thomas Hart of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's going on here in this grain and livestock trade. Probably don't want to look at the grain market on Monday as we are down moderately across the board. Soybeans, wheat futures leading us with double-digit losses. A cord market seeing double-digit losses in a few contracts as well. Better rains at Argentina over the weekend seem to be the biggest catalyst here of the downward move in the grain markets. Better than expected rains with more coming this week. And that really left the soybean complex vulnerable overnight into the morning trade. Quarter wheat prices uh, giving way to the selling as well. Grain and oilseed sector just struggling to sustain rallies in recent days as they lack a strong near-term story, especially with China, on holiday this week. The uh, algos are just kind of trading chart and momentum signals here this week, it appears. Brazil's soybean harvest progress as far as only about 2%, but it should gain significant momentum over the next couple of weeks. We'll continue to watch and see how the rains can maybe help out a little bit in Argentina. That crop still is in a pretty rough spot, though. So definitely a lot of things to watch here, really just kind of trading headlines, it appears, as we start off the week. We did get a soybean sale to unknown destinations on the Daily Wire as well on the day of a 192,000 metric tons to unknown for the 22-23 marketing year. But again, that's not helping out the soybean complex all too much. Now, meantime, livestock trade is taking advantage of the lower action in the grain trade on Monday. Feeder cattle leading the way, live cattle up moderately as well. Some of it could be reaction to the cattle on feed report, although that was fairly neutral on Friday with cattle on feed coming in 3% lower than last year, pretty much as expected. Hog market just trading mixed as we work through Monday's session. Crude oil up about 1%. The stock market quiet. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we've been outlining on today's episode some of the risks that farmers face. Of course, there's market risks as these prices are changing every single day. And there's weather risk, as John Baranek talked about. But unfortunately for agriculture, we've got to pay attention to regulatory policy risk as well. And this is where our associations of farmers around the country get together to help advocate on behalf of agriculture in D.C. And that advocacy is very, very important, as we have recently learned Late this last year, the Biden administration released an updated Waters of the U.S. rule, despite the fact that the current one is still being challenged in the Supreme Court. And now farm groups and other industries have come together with a lawsuit. Joining us now to discuss the status of this lawsuit and the reasons for it is Mary Thomas Hart. She's the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about this lawsuit. Mary Thomas, we've talked about this new WOTUS in the past from the Biden administration. Why did NCBA believe a lawsuit was necessary on this piece of a rulemaking? For a couple of reasons, Mike. Um, you know, I think first it, it's important to start with the substantive reasons. Like you mentioned, we, we've talked about some of our very legitimate concerns with this final rule. Really, it, it takes us back to before the Obama rule, you know, back in 2015. Um, and if, if your listeners remember, the, the kind of precursor to that was a period of, of a lot of regulatory uncertainty, right? Having to spend a lot of money on consultants, attorneys, you know, wetland specialists to determine if you needed to get a federal permit before doing a project. So we're, we're right back to where we started. Um, and not only did we sue to kind of try to remedy some of those issues, but also because EPA thought it appropriate or, or necessary to finalize a rule while the Supreme Court is actively considering this issue. So at a minimum, we would like to hold this rule off from, from going into place until the Supreme Court has an opportunity to speak. And what struck me about this lawsuit, Mary Thomas, when we think WOTUS, when we, we being agriculture, talk about WOTUS, we tend to talk about it and the impact on agricultural land, which of course covers so much of this great country. But as we've seen with this lawsuit, it's not just agriculture that's impacted. Can you talk to us about some of the other groups that have joined in on this suit uh, against the Biden administration? Sure. Sure. And you're exactly right. You know, I think, you know, we talk about Agland and for me <laughs> coming from NCBA, um, we collectively manage about a third of the continental United States. So when you talk about any regulation that's going to impact land use or a private landowner's ability to, to do what they need to do on their on their private property, um, I think the cattle industry is at the top of the list when we're talking about impacted industries, but it's certainly much broader than that. Right. Um, we've seen housing expand across the country, right? So home builders are impacted, general contractors, the mining industry, um, all the way down. I'm trying to think, there, there are so many different groups that we work with. Um, oil and gas, any, any company or industry that is utilizing or manipulating land in any way um, runs into this question of at what point they have to get a federal permit to conduct actions on private property. 
And Mary Thomas, I understand from our conversations in the past that the goal from NCBA is to have a waters of the U.S. rule that would allow landowners to go out, take a look and say, OK, this is a WOTUS because X, Y and Z. Do the rest of the co-signers on this lawsuit, are they pushing for the same thing, a simple, easy to understand water of the U.S. rule? We all generally have the same goal of achieving a, a rule that is both, you know, easy to understand, right, that that landowners can utilize to make at least a, a preliminary determination, right? That make sure that landowners aren't going to spend a lot of unnecessary money getting jurisdictional determinations, but then also something that is appropriately limited to the Clean Water Act jurisdiction, right? I think, you know, our biggest issue with the Obama rule to, to go back to 2015 wasn't a lack of certainty because they certainly gave us a, a lot of regulatory clarity but they did that by just regulating everything. So there was no question about if something was in or out in 2015 because everything was in. So, you know, it is a it's a tough balance, right? It's a tough tightrope to walk between achieving regulatory clarity without overregulation. But I think we, we are all seeking to find that balance. Mary Thomas, you mentioned regulatory clarity, and that's something that has not been in place on WOTUS. As you mentioned, it's been 20 years. We've been discussing the back and forth of this rule. Currently, there's one under discussion at the Supreme Court. There's a new one from the Biden administration that you are now suing. My question, kind of a basic one, what WOTUS rule are American cattlemen living under right now? Currently, producers, landowners are subject to the guidance that was actually issued during the George W. Bush administration before the 2015 Obama rule. So we, you know, we went through, I think the last Supreme Court opinion we had on WOTUS was Rapanos back in 2005, 2006. It took the Bush administration a couple of years to write some guidance, but they did. And it's really kind of focuses in on the significant nexus standard, but it's not a, it's not a rule. It's just guidance, right? So that's what producers are living under in the moment. We've, you know, we had the Obama rule, it was vacated. We had the Trump rule, it got vacated. The Biden rule, if it goes into effect on, I believe, March 23rd is the effective date. So if it goes into effect in two months without, you know, an injunction from the court, then that will be the law of the land, at least until we get a Supreme Court decision. So a, a lot of, um, a lot of variability right now, especially in the upcoming months as to what that standard is going to be. But I'm going to say if, if you're a landowner right now that's considering a project, you are living under the, the 1986 regulations with George W. Bush era guidance. So it's probably what you've been operating under for a while. If that's the environment we're in right now, and we are planning a project under the George W. Bush guidance, should we do it quick, maybe before all these WOTUS rules go into effect, Mary Thomas, or just wait and see? So one issue that we saw from the Biden administration was actually pulling back a lot of uh, permit grants that were made under the Trump rule. So, you know, and, and there have been larger questions about the legality of that. But, you know, I think that that this is maybe a time to kind of Press pause, wait and see what happens. I am confident that within a year, we're going to have a lot more clarity in this space, especially after the Supreme Court decision. Um, and so, you know, one way or another, I think you'll have a bit more certainty in a few months than you have right now. So, you know, it obviously 
you know, disasters and, and, you know, crazy events happen and, and we have to do what we have to do. But if you're looking at just a, you know, run of the mill maintenance project, um, I think, you know, pressing pause, if you can wait on it, that's probably the safest bet. Okay, good to know. Good practice to keep in hand, folks. Mary Thomas, over the next two months, you mentioned the Biden rule goes into effect there latter half of March. Can this case, this suit, be moved through the court system fast enough to put this on hold before it goes into effect? I think so. Our... Um we are considering our options right as parties to the litigation um but i think there's definitely the possibility of filing for a preliminary injunction that is one of our kind of suite of options um and that would put the role the rule on hold um in a couple different ways we could get a preliminary injunction until the supreme court issues its opinion or we could get a preliminary injunction that you know runs out the the timeline of the litigation on the legality of the rule. So, you know, I think there are certainly some options for us to use as far as getting the rule put on hold so that really it never goes into effect or doesn't go into effect for a while. Okay, so hopefully we can get that done before March. Mary Thomas, you mentioned that Sackett case, Supreme Court deliberating on it now. What's the expectation from the industry as to when that uh, decision would be uh, publicized? The Supreme Court typically issues these types of opinions between late March and early May. So, you know, I can't obviously no one knows uh, the timeline for these Supreme Court cases. Um, they have a lot of autonomy to, to do what they want, especially regarding timelines. But I, I think that we can generally expect um, mid-April as, as the timeline. Um, and I would go earlier instead of later. So probably mid-April at the latest. Um, we got, you know, back in 2018, we got a, a WOTUS related opinion from the Supreme Court as early as February. So probably from February to April. Okay, so hopefully we'll have some some certainty from the Supreme Court as we get deeper into summer. Mary Thomas, f dealing with this WOTUS issue, it has been a thorn in the side for all of agriculture, as you mentioned, so many other industries in this country. Is there the potential that Congress could legislate a water of the U.S. rule that would nip all this in the bud? It really has been an issue, and, and I'm glad that you made that point. You know, I think it's important to note that since the Clean Water Act was passed back in 1972, there have been about 13 different regulatory iterations of a WOTUS definition, which means if, if you're a landowner that's trying to plan how to maintain your property, when to, you know, do different water maintenance projects and, and you know, water infrastructure projects, you're looking at a different definition of WOTUS about every three and a half years. So that, that makes it really tough to plan in advance for when you're going to get these permits and do these projects. There have been efforts in the past to define WOTUS. The concern there is that, you know, oftentimes the the interest is more on the other side, I guess, than it is ours. So the last time there was a legitimate effort to define WOTUS, the effort was to take the word navigable out of the Clean Water Act. So it would have significantly expanded EPA's authority. Anytime we talk about legislative options, um, that's always a potential. So, you know, we certainly consider bills that, that are an attempt to define WOTUS, but also know that we run the risk of it going the other way. That's a good point. That sword can swing both ways. Folks, we have been talking with Mary Thomas Hart. She is the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mary Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We'll talk through some more issues that are impacting agriculture here when AOA returns.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Heading to NCBA in New Orleans, February's Monthly Grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. 
Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Over the past year on this program, we've been tracking some of the sales results from alternative proteins. A lot of folks in agriculture call these the fake meats, the plant-based variety that's been pumped out and promoted heavily over the past couple of years. As we've noted, over the past year, we have seen the bloom sort of fall off that rose. And over the weekend, Bloomberg, I think, sort of put the final nail in it. There was a massive, well-reported story on Bloomberg written by Dina Shanker, and its title was Fake Meat Was Supposed to Save the World, It Became Just Another Fad. It's a fantastic way well-researched story that highlights the sales challenges that we're seeing across the alternative meat space, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, two of the market leaders that gobbled up lots of VC money, lots of attention in 2020 as the pandemic was starting to spread, since then have seen their sales start to tail off. I'd encourage all of you, if that's a space you are interested in learning about, check out that story. Dina Shanker of messaged her. Hopefully we will get her on the program to discuss what she has researched in that tale. But that's one side, the plant-based alternative proteins. These are the proteins created from things like pea protein and et cetera. That's one avenue of the so-called alternative protein. The other avenue, the much more slowly developing avenue, is the cell-cultured side of the ledger. These are the scientists that out there saying they can create meat without animals by growing the muscle tissue such as it is in vats. And it's worth noting that there are there's currently only one country that has approved cultivated meat for sale, and that is Singapore. But the Food and Drug Administration in November did allow a cultivated food product temporary approval. This is a chicken-based product. It's effectively a chicken nugget type plant-based product made by a company called Upside out of California. Now, these Upside executives have come out and they say they are targeting 2023 to get this cultured chicken product 
out onto the shelf. Now, they do still have a long way to go. They mentioned their facilities still need to be inspected and certified by the USDA Food Safety Inspection Service, and they still have to get sign-off from the FDA on labeling, also from the USDA on labeling as well. They have not commented on an inspection time frame, but I think it's worth noting that even though the plant-based meats might be falling off, there is still this cell-cultured meat component that... Uh, Researchers are still pushing ahead on. We'll see if that can continue or if it can find find any strength here with consumers out in the countryside. We do have a couple of other pieces of news that are certainly going to impact agriculture. This past week, we talked with uh, Dr. Paul Sunberg, the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center, about the ongoing risks to herd health around the globe. And one of the ones he focused on ongoing trouble is African swine fever. The country of Greece hasn't had an ASF outbreak since 2020 until... Today, it was announced earlier today that they had detected African swine fever and troublingly, it was in a wild boar. So it was not in a hog facility. There will be no culling as a result of this discovery, but it does indicate that ASF is live, is still spreading. Not terribly surprising. This boar was found in the northern reaches of Greece, close to Bulgaria, which has been grappling with African swine fever without a lot of success here in recent years. So it's not terribly shocking the disease is spreading, but it is going to once again, throw off the swine trade in and around the European Union. And we're also seeing the egg trade be discussed. There was a lawsuit filed earlier, or excuse me, late last week from a group called Farm Action, alleging that egg prices are jumping higher, not as a result of HPAI necessarily, but as a result of market manipulation and price gouging. Uh, this group has filed a complaint, and they are alleging that uh, the price gains are not commensurate with the loss of eggs out in the countryside. Now, of course, this happens as today we have yet another HPAI. HPAI outbreak to report. This one in Minnesota, a turkey facility with about 23,000 birds has just reported an outbreak. So it does appear as though HPAI will continue to drive movement in the poultry space, not just egg laying, but also broilers are being impacted and importantly, turkeys. So we are not through the woods here on this HPAI thing as of yet. Another story, we have not talked too terribly much about the events happening in Davos, Switzerland. The World Economic Forum happened here earlier this month. It's a time that a lot of executives get together and they talk about different things that, uh, I don't know, that are happening in the global economy, such as it is. Well, one of the folks who did speak at Davos, and this I felt was interesting because it ties right into agriculture, was the CEO of JBS, the world's largest packing company. And they were under fire. JBS was because they have made a series of environmental claims and commitments. And the pressure from the folks at Davos, the folks at this World Economic Forum, they're big on that environmental sustainability front. And they were getting some pushback, noticeably about some of the uh, deforestation that's happening in Brazil, the fact that JBS has purchased many cattle from farms that aren't certified in Brazil for operating in a clean and environmentally friendly way. The pushback against JBS was um, was pretty common there at Davos, and it will be interesting to see what sort of impact this has longer term. And I guess while we're talking Davos, we might as well talk about EU and agriculture over there as a whole. We've touched on it several times on this program, notably Bill Wirtz from Consumer Choice Center here a few weeks ago, highlighted the struggles that European farmers are facing. 
If you folks can remember, this past summer, summer of 2022, Europe suffered one of the worst droughts they have experienced in the last 1,000 years. And in that time, French sugar beet production was was crushed. I mean, it was destroyed. And this comes, 2022's losses came on top of losses in 2021 for French sugar beet growers and in 2020. And now those 2020 and 2021 losses were due to a result of pests. And so the French government said, we could see that our farmers are really struggling. Pests are still an issue. And in order to treat these pests in French sugar beets, neonicotinoids are the best chemicals to use. Unfortunately for French farmers, neonics are banned by the European Union. Well, the French government earlier this year got together and said, you know what, we're going to allow our farmers to use neonics. We're going to grant them a three-year exemption from EU rules. Well, the EU turned around and said, no, you are not, and has effectively banned neonicotinoids in France. We'll see those French producers continue to struggle as these regulatory changes hurt their business. Folks, stay tuned tomorrow to AOA. We'll have more discussion of what's happening in the ag industry. Thanks for listening today. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.